morning. My name is Marshall Brown. I will be teaching on the passages that uh, that lovely scripture reader just read. That's my wife, Allison, if you do not uh, know that. So I do want to welcome you. Glad that you're here. Welcome to all of those of you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you are with us. Uh, before I pray and get started looking at this topic of friendship and the verses uh, that were just read, first of all, there is the congregational meeting after the service. Hope you can stay. We'll get started uh, rather quickly right afterwards. Uh, but before, this will, we'll talk about this a little bit in that meeting, but I do want to give you a little bit of news, uh, some sad news and some good news. Sad news and good news. What do you want first? Sad. Same thing. You're so, I, I think it's just so Presbyterian to want the bad news first, okay? <laughs> Sad news first. Uh, three years ago, uh, Allie Brent uh, made a two-year commitment to this church to come and serve our middle, middle school students, uh, and she agreed to stay even a third year and to continue to love our students, our church, and us. We're so thankful for her. She's been a great worker. She's been our, uh, built up our middle school ministry. She has run our communications. She has been my personal assistant for the last year, uh, and she's just been lovely. She will be with us throughout the summer. She'll be moving uh, to the UK, to London, to work with the church and do a, st- a training program in the UK. Uh, really exciting opportunity for her. Uh, And I'll say this again when we celebrate her more properly when she leaves at the end of the summer, when she moves away at the end of the summer. Uh, But Allie has the distinction, one of the few people I know that is a friend to all three people uh, in my family. My wife, Allison, and I both consider her friends. But the last several months, uh, we've had Allie over for dinner every Wednesday night. And my six-year-old son just talks about how much he can't wait for Allie to come on Wednesday night. So we are sad to see her go, although we're happy for what's in front of her. But I have some happy news as well, good news, and that is our own Diana Williams, Diana and Wayne are staying on the North Shore. You may have heard that they were moving to Florida, uh, and they were seriously considering that, but they've decided to stay on the North Shore, and so we are so thankful for this. Uh, in the midst of the pandemic, Diana has done so much to build into our children's ministry. She started Grace Kids on Wednesday night. Our youth, particularly our high school, uh, leading this trip to Costa Rica here in a few weeks, our first ever mission trip for our, our youth. Uh, so we're so excited they will be staying, uh, not just uh, well, Diana and Wayne, but also Grandma Ann, who will be watching online. Hello, Ann, uh, as well as daughter Gracie. So we're so thankful for the Williams uh, staying on the North Shore. We'll talk more about these things at the congregational meeting. But let me pray before we look at these verses and the topic of friendship. God, our Father, we are uh, moved by Jesus' statement, the last of the scripture reading from John 15, that, that you have called us your friends, despite all that we do to rebel against you and sin against you. You have called us friends and you have given the life of your son so that we might be your friends. And God, I pray that as we look this morning in these passages about friendship, that you would give us the great grace of being friends to one another. Be with us, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our heart would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. One of the many great things about being a parent is revisiting revisiting the classics of children's literature. And I must say that I have particularly delighted in being reacquainted with E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. Uh, If you remember, I'll tell you the summary basic of the story. It's the story of a spider named Charlotte that does all she can to save the life, to spare the life of a pig named Wilbur. Charlotte and Wilbur. It's a story of responsibility. It is a story about growing up. Embracing differences, it's a story about loss and grief, but primarily it is a story about friendship and the love that exists between a spider and a pig, the love of two friends. And towards the end of the book, Charlotte is dying. She's a spider who is dying. And Wilbur asks her, he said, why did you do all this for me? I don't deserve it. I've never done anything for you. 
And Charlotte replied, you have been my friend. And that in itself is a tremendous thing. We're three weeks into a sermon series that I've called The Living Church, and it's a series that's based and premised upon Acts 2.42. You see it written for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we have said that those words about the early church are not just a description of the early church, but they're actually a prescription for all of us who follow Jesus and for all churches. And as we emerge from the pandemic, I want the devotions of the early church to be our devotions. We want ourselves to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and devoted to the prayers. We've used the metaphor in past weeks of planting a garden. We are doing our part, setting the soil, planting the seeds, fertilizing, watering, and trusting that what God will do, he will do. Uh, for better or for worse, with growth or not. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the living church learns. They were devoted, and we are called to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the preaching and teaching of God's word. Last week, we looked at the living church loves, devoted to the fellowship. And actually, this week, I'm continuing. This is kind of part two of the living church loves, because I want to talk about the theme within fellowship. This Fellowship's the broader topic. Love is the broader topic, uh, loving one another. But this is the more narrow topic of friendship. The living church today, the living church Befriends. Now, when I'm reading, uh, I'm going to preach on a topical um, subject like this. I usually try to pick up a couple of books and at least flip through them, if not read them. And one of the books I picked up for this week, uh, the book itself was not that great. I won't name it. Uh, but a great introduction by Ann Voskamp, and then a great blurb by none other than Tim Keller. Um, uh, sometimes you buy a book and it's worth it for different reasons. This workbook was worth it just for the dust jacket, uh, because Tim Keller says this about friendship on the back cover of this book: Christian practice. Christian practice is to a great degree an exercise in friendship, okay? Christian practice is to a great degree an exercise in friendship. In Christianity, we have been made right with God by what Jesus has done for us. And in so doing, as we have just heard read from John 15, we have become the friends of Jesus. And Jesus is the best kind of friend because he wants to introduce us to all of his other friends, which is to say Christians and the church more generally. It's as if, to quote my southern self, Jesus is saying, we're friends now, you and I, now y'all go be friends. Y'all be friends. And Christian practice is learning to figure out, to quote Jesus, how we love our neighbor as ourselves, how we, how to be friends, okay? Now, before I dive into this topic of friendship, I want to make some distinctions and give a definition of a true friend. First, the distinctions. There there are levels of friendship and relationships. This goes back at least as far as Aristotle. uh, Four levels. Level one, and these are all important, and we all have these relationships. Level one friendships are people who are useful to you. They may be colleagues. They may be business contacts. They may be friends on your street. They're useful to you, and you are useful to them. You have a mutual interest, okay? Mutually use each other. It's actually, it's just life, okay? Level two is people with whom you find pleasure, people you have fun with. This could be tennis buddies, this could be drinking friends, this could be just people that you have a good time with, that you share a laugh with. Level three, level three friends are people with whom you share a meaningful cause or a mission, right? The proverbial example of this, of course, is the war friends, the war buddies. Think band of brothers. But what I want to talk about today is level four friendship. 
what I'm calling true friends, what we're talking about today. Now, they, the level four sh- friendship may and probably should include all of the above levels. And it actually probably begins with one of those. It, it can include all of them. But level four friendship, true friendship. And the definition I want to give for this is from, again, Tim Keller. He says this, does Tim, about true friendship. True, a true friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. They always let you in and they never let you you down. Now, as I was talking about this sermon with Allison, and she was practicing her scripture reading, uh, and I was practicing the sermon, uh, she said, why are you preaching the sermon? Why are you doing this, Marshall? It's a good question. You, know, like you, you talked about fellowship in the community last week. Why are you spending a second week to talk about that in this very narrow application of friendship? Why are you talking about that? Good question. And there's at least two answers. First, my obs- and I alerted to this last week, my observation of the North Shore is that level four friendships, true friendships, are exceedingly rare. To get to and to thrive on the North Shore, vulnerability, which is of the essence of true friendship, is a liability and not an asset. Vulnerability, you have to be vulnerable to be true friends. And to get to the North Shore and to stay here and to succeed, actually vulnerability, well, it's a liability in business and in the community. As I look around, I see a lot of buddies but not as many friends. Now, I will say within this church, I'm super encouraged by some of the friendships I see uh, growing in certain pockets of the church. Uh, One of the pockets I'm most hopeful about is our youth. And there's a couple other pockets within moms, 30-somethings, where I really see encouraging signs of people leaning in to friendship. At some level, I'm preaching this sermon to encourage you to keep leaning into friendships and to warn you that this is a place where friendship can be squeezed out because of the pressure against vulnerability. But the other reason that I wanted to preach a sermon on friendship for our church is friendships can change the world. (laughs) Friendships can change a community. Friendships can change a church, even if there's just small pockets of them. Friendships can really do marvelous, beautiful things, even as you help to love people who are not your level four friends. Friendships are beautiful, life-giving things, and they are worthy and beautiful to talk about. There's so many great themes in literature about the love between friends. Well, I have, a, I have an outline this week, and it's a food metaphor. It's a little different for me. Uh, four points, a food metaphor for the outline. First, we have a hunger for friendship. Second, what are the essential ingredients for friendship? Third, what is the recipe for friendship? And then fourth, what is the secret sauce of friendship? The hunger for, let's see if you can guess, the hunger for friendship, the essential ingredients for friendship, the recipe for friendship, and then the secret sauce. First, the hunger for friendship. Like last week, we talked about the need for relationships. We talked about the fact that we are created to live in community with one another. We talked about the fact that God himself is a community. God has never been lonely. He's always had friends, father, son, spirit, three persons. We've talked about last week that in Genesis chapter 2, which is before sin enters the world, that God said it is not good. It is not good to be alone. We were created for for community. God is in community. To be in his image is to be in community. We also said last week that it's not just that we are created for community, but also we were redeemed into community. And because we were both created for and redeemed into community, it should not surprise us that friendship is good for us. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Friendship is good for us. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up, one will lift up his fellow. 
okay? Now, friend, a friend is someone who knows you, someone who has your back. And more importantly, it's not just that they know you and have your back, but you know they have your back. Because you don't know when you're going to fall, but they've got your back. So that, quote, when you fall, verse 10a, verse 10b, they will pick you up. You know that about them. They will be there for you. A book I did read this week, it's a short little book, a little booklet almost, that I commend to you is uh, written by Cicero, the very famous Roman order before the life of Christ. Sixty years before the birth of Jesus, Cicero wrote the following. I love this. Friendship is the greatest thing in the world. For there is nothing which so fits in with our nature or is so exactly what we want in prosperity or adversity. Friendship is the greatest thing in the world. The way the Ecclesiastes says it is two are better than one. Good friends make you better. A good friend helps you to become all you were created to be. And you can help a good friend to be all they were created to be. To quote Ecclesiastes again, a good friend lifts you up. A good friend lifts you up. A good friend helps you become the best version of you. You were made, we were made, to have deep, life-giving friends. But friendship, friends, is hard and it is all too rare. I want to suggest that in this cultural moment, I don't think this will last forever, we'll figure this out somehow as a culture, but we're living in the midst of a crisis of friendship. 20 years ago, the Harvard uh, sociologist Robert Putnam wrote a book that kind of has entered our lexicon. The title of the book was Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. Once we bowled in leagues, usually together after work, but no longer. Now we bowl alone. And drawing on vast data, he shows, Putnam does, that we have become increasingly disconnected from one another. And that book was written 20 years ago at Harvard, before, a couple years later, a guy named Mark Zuckerberg and his uh, college dormitory created something called the Facebook, uh, right? This was before the Facebook, this was before social media, which I think I could make the argument has actually made friendship even more difficult, or even more bowling alone in our media, our social media accounts. Now, I don't think I have to belabor this point. I think you would probably agree with me that friendship is in crisis and that maybe you have less friends than you used to. But let me give you two anecdotes. They do not prove my point, but they are suggestive. Since 1988, pet ownership is up 20%. In the last year, from 2020 to 2021, the number of referrals to mental health therapists, mental health professionals, has doubled. Okay? Pets and therapists. This is where we used to look for friends. Now, I am not against pets, and I'm not against therapists. I've had several of both in my life. That's funny. Um, on the whole, on the whole, I actually think people talking to therapists is a good thing. That's a nuanced conversation, but I think that's actually not a bad thing. But here's the deal. What do pets and a therapist have in common? We pay for them. And they function relationally like a friend. They fill, they're a fill-in at some level for the friends that we wish we had and that we don't have. We hunger for friendships. We were made for friendships. And when we don't have them, we look elsewhere for friendships. We hunger for friendships. So what do we do? Second, let's look at the essential ingredients, ingredients for friendship. Now, these three ingredients that I'm going to list here are actually, uh, some level, they're not direct. You could find these in God's Word, but they're actually just kind of what theologians call common grace insights. You can find these uh, in a lot of different types of writers, these essential ingredients for friendship. The first ingredient to any type of friendship is virtue or character. You cannot be a good friend or have a good friend 
with someone or if you lack character for the simple reason that you cannot trust them. To uh, use Jesus' phrase and apply it to friendship, this is why you cannot, Jesus says, do not cast your pearls before swine. The pearl of friendship, the pearl of vulnerability, you can't cast before someone who does not have character. Cicero says it this way, friendship, with, this is actually the last line of his book on friendship, friendship without virtue is impossible. Friendship without virtue is impossible. I was talking to a friend a while back who was starting to become friends uh, with this other guy in his, uh, in his community. This is not here in the North Shore. And uh, he said, this guy, though, he, when we play golf, he cheats. When we play basketball, he cheats. And he's like, I can't be his friend. I was like, you're right, you can't. If somebody cheats, you cannot, you know that you can't really trust them. Virtue is essential to friendship, essential ingredient. Essential ingredient number two, a mutual interest. C.S. Lewis, the uh, Oxford and uh, Cambridge scholar of the last century, uh, wrote a very famous book called The Four Loves. There are actually talks before they were a book, but The Four Loves. Uh, the Greek, uh, the Mar- English only has one word for love. Greek has four uh, words for love. Because uh, it's like, you, you love, I, I love my wife, I love God, and I love my spouse. I mean, those, those okay, we need more than one word. Uh, the Greek word for romantic love is eros. You understand that. The Greek word for affection, the love you might have for a pet or a younger sibling or something, is storge, the love you might have for your community, your city, your sports team. That's storge, affection. Then there's the God love, the greatest of the love, self-denying love, agape, gospel love, God's love for us, denying itself. But then there is phylos or philos, friendship love. C.S. Lewis says that friendship love is the most unnatural of the loves. It is the most rare of the loves. And it's actually the only love you can go through your entire life and never experience. The other three you will for sure experience, okay? So what is friendship love? Friendship, and C.S. Lewis also says this. He's echoing others. But C.S. Lewis says that friendship always begins with you too. You see that? You agree with me on this? You see, friendship love is something standing side by side with someone and looking at something. Maybe you love the same sports team. Maybe you love the same painter. Maybe you love the same music. Maybe you love the same work. You look at something. I may have made a friend this week. I was talking to a pastor I've not yet met on the West Coast. Somebody introduced us. And he's from Dallas, and he loves basketball, pro basketball. And like, he, like, he knows what's happening at 2.30 today. Do you know what's happening at 2.30 today? No, you can't be my friend because Luka Doncic is playing in game seven, trying to beat the Suns, the best team in the NBA, okay? Um, right? We might be friends because we have a mutual interest. You see, if erotic love, romantic love is looking into one another's eyes and talking about your love, friendship is standing shoulder to shoulder and looking at something else and almost never talking about your relationship, your friendship. So for friendship to work, there must be a mutual interest. The third ingredient... The third ingredient for um, friends is the friend, a true level friend, four level, level four, they must be of the same gender. Now, some of you are going to argue with me, uh, but remember, and we can all, that's fine. Uh, but I'm talking about level four friendships, and I'm saying that you cannot have, you, you can have relationships at all the other levels across gender. But at level four, uh, it can only be uh, the same gender. I didn't learn this from Aristotle, Cicero, or C.S. Lewis, although C.S. Lewis's biography proves my point. I can tell you about that. Uh, I learned this from Billy Crystal and When Harry Met Sally and Julia Roberts and Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding, okay? Now, the premise of those movies is that you cannot be deep friends with someone of the opposite sex because one of you is going to be into the other at some level more than the other. But that's actually not the point I'm trying to make this morning. That's true. I believe that's true. I know you're going to argue with me, some of you. That's fine. Especially the college students are going to argue with me about this. Um, that's not the point I'm making, though. 
The point I want to make here is there is something that only a friend of the same gender can give you that someone of an opposite gender cannot give you. Let me illustrate with my own life. I got married later in life. And theologically and philosophically, I was a pastor. I knew this. I knew that my spouse could not satisfy everything about me. I I knew that this one person couldn't fill all my needs. I knew that could only be Jesus. I knew it up here. I didn't know it down here. In the early years of our marriage, I kept wanting Allison to say, you're a good man. You're good. And here's the deal. She did say it. And she does believe that. But it wasn't enough for me, and so I wondered if she loved me. And it was a male friend, one of my closest male friends, who said to me, Marshall, there are simply things that only another man can give to you. And the same thing is true for women. There are things only a woman can give to a woman. Which is to say, if you're married and your spouse has godly friends, godly is the key qualifier, if your spouse has godly friends, don't be jealous if they spend time with that friend. Godly friends will make your spouse a better spouse. Okay, essential ingredients, you can find this in almost all of the works of ancient literature. Character matters, you have to have mutual interest and you have to be of the same gender. But how do you put those things together? This where this sermon becomes at some level more Christian. What is the recipe for friendship? And this becomes more active, okay? And the three points I'm going to give you here, this is both how to build a friendship, but it's also how to evaluate how you're doing as a friendship. Okay, how to build a friendship, but also how to evaluate yourself within your friendships. First, first thing is a true friend loves. A true friend loves. Look with me, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves when at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, I want to say two things about a true friend loves. I want to say something active and something emotional. First, the activity of friendship. Friendship among friends is not just feeling a certain way. We'll get to that in a second, but it is active. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 10, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If you are having a friendship with another person, you have to do something. You have to serve them. You have to give them the toy, to use uh, Nick's illustration. You have to love them, serve them in an active way. So first of all, friendship is loving in that way. It's active, but also friendship is empathetic or emotional. There's an emotional connection to friendship. You have to be on someone's wavelength. Look with me, uh, Proverbs 25, verse 20. I, I included some of these odd scriptures to make this point. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Okay? This is saying that if, if your friend is sad, don't sing joyful songs to them. Be emotionally attuned to where they are. Pay attention, read the room, and meet your friend's sadness with sadness. Meet your friend's joy with joy, okay? You have to be dialed in emotionally. To quote another part of Ecclesiastes, you have to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, okay? You can't be good friends if you can't engage someone emotionally. So first, true love, uh, true friends love, and that's both active and emotional engagement, empathetic. But second, a true friend tells the truth. A true friend tells the truth. Now, this again has two parts to it. First, to be a true friend, you have to tell the truth about yourself. You have to disclose what is on your heart, what you really long for, what you really hope for. You have to disclose your heart. A friend always lets you in. And to let you in, you have to be someone who tells the truth about yourself. 
But there's a second point about telling the truth. A true friend also tells the truth to the other. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. What is that? When iron sharpens iron, there's sparks as one sharpens another. Two good friends are like pieces of sandpaper being rubbed together. And slowly, surely, by the grace of God, those two pieces of sandpaper are worn down and eventually become more and more smooth. I'm listening to a podcast that I love uh, called Chasing Scratch. If you're not a golfer, that's not going to make sense to you. It is about two golfers, their best friends. Uh, they are exactly what I am. They call themselves shaky 11 handicaps, uh, which is exactly what I am. That means basically I'm an above average golfer, but I'm not that good. And these two friends are committed to get to scratch, which is an excellent golfer, somebody who is capable and regularly shoots below par. So the podcast of these friends on this journey to chase scratch, to get from an 11 handicap to a a zero or a plus one handicap. I hope that makes enough sense for you uh, non-golfers. But one of the things I love about these two friends talking to each other, they have these what they call let's be honest sections of their, of their, of their conversations. They actually call it out. They say, okay, it's a, it's a let's be honest. You got to get a new putter. You got to get a new swing coach. You got to do this, right? Let's be honest. Every friendship needs a let's be honest section to it. Okay, where you can speak forthrightly about the flaws that you see in one another. At some level, uh, you, but, yeah, you get it, right? You, let's be honest with each other. Because if you don't, if you're afraid to say the hard thing, if you're afraid to speak the truth, you're actually not a friend, right? You actually, what you're saying is, I love myself and the happiness of our friendship more than I love you. And I'm willing to allow you to persist in a pattern that leads to your own destruction. I'm willing to let you do that rather than speak the truth and risk hurt for myself. Right? That's not a friend. A true friend speaks the truth in love. Now, here's the thing. Point number one, a true friend loves. And point number two, a true friend tells the truth. Those are in conflict with each other. There is a paradox and there has to be a wisdom. This is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says that we must speak the truth in love. You have to balance. Sometimes your friend needs truth, sometimes they need love. And the same thing is true for us. You have to balance and know how to read the room. Truth or love. So a true friend tells the truth, a true friend loves, but third and more briefly, a true friend respects. Uh, all of you, it's interesting, Proverbs 25, 17, all of you laughed uh, when Allison read this. Uh, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his full, fill of you and hate you. Uh, brief point here, you have to respect your friends. You have to respect their boundaries. You cannot overwhelm them. You cannot just do what you want to do. You have to understand them. You can't overexpect or overwhelm them, okay? You have to respect who they are, what they are, what they like, and don't be too much in their house, okay? That's what 2517 basically means. But if you take these things, okay, if you take these essential ingredients, okay, the first three things I said, then you take these active things, this recipe, love, truth, and respect, and you put those two together plus time, this equals true friendship. Again, Tim Keller's definition, a true friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. It was also Tim Keller who said this. He said, if you get to this point in a sermon, and he has a great sermon on friendship, it leaves you feeling two things most likely. One is a sense of longing. A sense of longing for true friends. 
We live in a world where mobility takes our friends away. We live in a place where we are broken and our friendships don't last the way we want to. We don't have the friends that we need. We don't have the friends we wish we had, a sense of longing. But there's also a kind of a crushing sense because if we measure ourselves and we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves to this standard, we realize the reason we don't have friends is because we're not that good of a friend. We're not a good friend to other people. So what do you do? What do we do? How do we get to be friends if we're so disappointed and have such longing? Well, this brings us to the secret, to the secret sauce. I, spent, I was raised in Texas, but I spent uh, my, most of my 20s and 30s in the American South. And a lot of uh, restaurants in the American South have something they call comeback sauce. Comeback sauce. Now, comeback sauce is this mysterious agreement. They'll never give it away, but it's the thing that you put on your food, and it brings it all together, okay? And the comeback sauce, the secret sauce, you guessed it, is Jesus himself. Look with me at John 15. Jesus says this. Now, again, the context here, John 15, Jesus, this is the last night before Jesus is crucified. He is about to be betrayed by the men he's talking to. He's about to be denied, and he is about to be deserted by these men. He knows this is going to happen. He's actually just predicted it. John 15, he says this, though, to a group that's about to desert him and be terrible friends to him. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Friends, how can we grow to be the friends that we are not? This passage, you see, friends, we were made to be friends with one another, but we were also made to be friends with God. And like these first apostles, what have we done? We have turned away from God. We have rebelled. We have sinned against God. And what do you do when someone turns on you? When someone disappoints you as a friend, they, they violate your trust, something like that. What do you do? Well, you turn away. You back away. You move away from the friendship, if not breaking it off altogether. But Jesus, what does he do? He cleaves to his friends at infinite cost to himself. He comes near to his friends. And instead of inflicting wounds or withdrawing himself, he bears the wounds and moves towards his friends. And he's willing even to lose his friendship with God the Father so that he might have friendship with us and us with God the Father. You see, friends, Jesus is the friend who, never lets us, who always lets us in. And never lets us down. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the more that you know the friendship of Jesus, the love of God for you, the more you know that, the more you're able to go out and be the friend to other people that they need. And as you do that, as you move out with the love of Jesus as his friend, paradoxically what you find is that other people want to be your friend. I close with Tim Keller. Make Jesus the friend your heart desires, and you will have all the friends you need. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that by your grace, and even in the disappointments of our friendships and the broken of our relationships, that we would increasingly make you the friend our hearts desire so that we could have all the friends we need. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen.